Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe Miller. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So, Prost to you. stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all. Good. Welcome along, everyone, to the Penis Project podcast today. And I'm delighted to have actually a friend of mine uh, who I've got to know over many years, David Sando. And David Sando has um, his own personal experience with prostate cancer, stemming from a, a younger man. I think we'll talk about that in a moment. But also, I got to know David um, probably around about 2013, 14 when he was the chair of the Prostate Cancer Foundation nationally across Australia. So welcome to our podcast today. Thank you so much. Where are you actually joining us from? Um, good morning or good afternoon. Uh, from my point of view, it's 12.30 and uh, we're in uh, Ningen, far west New South Wales, by the Bogan River. And you got it. It's the Shire of Bogan, isn't it, David? I love that. I think it's such a great yeah, thing. It's the Shire of Bogan and it's amazing that in the main street, People stop to take photographs of this Bogan sculpture that's there in all the story. Well, we when I, done... sorry, when I went to the Shire of Bogan, I actually <laughs> dressed up in my husband's high vis gear and got a photo of myself under the sign, the Shire of Bogan, just for a bit of fun. <laughs> that's good. Well, we're all Bogans at heart. We are. Couldn't be more Aussie for that. Now, David, we're just going to get you to give us a little bit of background about your own personal story with your prostate cancer diagnosis. If you don't mind, just give me a little bit of background on that. Yes, well, I'm, uh, I'm 76 now. And in 1996, I was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer, had the uh, radical prostatectomy. And in those days, um, it was uh, very successful, although um, I did... Um, have difficulty um, with uh, the erectile side of things. Um, the um, incontinence went away as it usually does for most people. But in my case, I had to uh, experiment with the oral medication, uh, the injection therapy, the vacuum device, and, and then um, finally coming to the gold standard of all um, assistance needed down in that area uh, was with the penile prosthesis. 
So thanks so much for um, joining us today. And that's really what we're going to be highly, highlighting. Um, in a recent episode, we interviewed uh, Dr. David Sofield, a urologist, about the penile implant surgery. But, you know, we, we're really keen to get this from the everyday man's perspective. So I think we'll hand over to Melissa to just start asking you some questions on the penile implant. So okay. how many years did you try with all the other things? So you've, you obviously tried penis pumps and injectables and how long did you persevere with that? Well, I think it's it's a plus for people with, um, with the penile implant to have gone through um, the various options available. Um, and uh, we started off on the oral medication that that just didn't work. Uh, we then went to the injection therapy and that lasted for, um, for quite a while. Um, with my global jobs, I um, had to do a lot of traveling along with um, Pam, my wife. And uh, it was a bit of a struggle um, going to different countries, uh, especially overseas and uh, and having the the injection solution and keeping it cool and all the rest of it. So we did put up with that for uh, some time. What um, we used to do um, was that, um, well, I'll explain that later, but I'll just go through the, the, the different um, uh, devices we use. So the injection therapy is one. Uh, I can explain that uh, later. Um, the That's okay. We've actually spoken to quite a few guys about the injection. So really just whether or not, you know, what your reason was for then changing over after that to the um, implant, which you've kind of brushed on, and also whether or not you tried using a pump with rings as well, it'd be great to know. Yeah, we did We did use the pump with uh, with rings, and uh, it was in a, in a different way, um, just as tedious as the injection therapy. So we, we put up with it all for um, nearly um, 10 years, but uh, it came to the point where um, it, uh, I was spruiking the benefits of the penile prosthesis and I didn't have one myself. So, <laughs> so you thought uh, you were going to do the righty and do it yourself. And I did have a few responsible roles within the PCFA. So I did um, then... Uh, undergo the operation and uh, it's the best thing we ever did because I, I'm the proud, well I've been the proud user and owner of um, two penile prostheses. Wow. Um, the first one um, predictably, I like to say it wore out. Um, <laughs> Pam doesn't necessarily agree with that but she enjoyed it anyway. Um, uh, that, uh, that lasted about nine years Right. And uh, and I've so about this was about 15 years ago, 15 and a half years ago, I've had a penile prosthesis, uh, the penile implant, and uh, I'm on the second one now, and it, it's going fine. So you had then 10 years pretty much of using other options, and then you decided to go for the penile implant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The big the big um, difference is that. Uh, with the injection therapy and the um, and the vacuum device, we used to go to bed and go through the normal preliminary processes with lovemaking, and uh, then I'd get up and I'd um, organise on the one hand the um, the injections, and then when we had the the um, the pump, 
the uh, the pump. Both relatively tedious, but I got used to it. I found it easier in front of um, a, a full length mirror and I had everything on guard. So I'd get out of bed and do all that stuff and then get back into bed and um, we'd have um, a good uh, lovemaking session. The difference with the penile prosthesis is I don't have to get out of bed. I don't have the tediousness of the injection therapy. I don't have the tediousness of um, getting the, the ring in the right um, position. And uh, I, when we're ready, um, Pam says pump up and I <laughs> put my hand down in the scrotum and pump up and and how Bob many Joanna. times do you how many pumps yeah. <laughs> well, it, to get it, it up by the way no, we're not asking you a personal question here we just want to know how many to get it ready <laughs> uh, well it, it, it depends and I've spoken to a lot of people of course in uh, in my situation in, in my case it's about 10 Right. Okay. And have you found the biggest problem I've found with guys, which I think we found a workaround that have the prosthesis, is that because the um, cylinders only go in the shaft of the penis, the head of the penis stays kind of soft. Have you found that issue? No, it's um, the the head of the penis is uh, fine, and I get that um, from Pam because, as Joe knows, we've spoken um, jointly on many occasions, mm. and. Uh, the, the issue, there was an issue with the vacuum device in that um, the, um, the penis was cold. Yes. And uh, it was rudderless, really, if you think of a helicopter and, you know, the, the ring, um, it was rudderless. So with the penile prosthesis, um, no, we, we don't find any, um, any hassle at all. Yeah, and that's uh, right. um, Pam gets... Um, the pleasure of it and, and so do I. And another big thing about um, the penile implant is that um, at our age, I'm 76 and Pam will be 75 later this year, um, we have um, a different um, orgasm timing and uh, with the penile prosthesis, we can go for as long as it takes. For both of you. <laughs> Yeah. And when it's all, when it's all over, I just put my hand back down on my scrotum and let it down. Yeah. And how many pumps does that take <laughs> to let it down? No, that, that's just squeezing a button and uh, and sometimes um, using your other hand to um, to cause the deflation to happen quicker. Uh, it, it takes seconds. And is there any discomfort in the skin of your testicles? Because I think that's something that when I show guys how it all works, they're like, oh, isn't it going to hurt when I have to, like, squeeze my testicle skin? No, no, not at all. No, um, the, the testicles um, do get in the way. I, I, I'm in a semi-fortunate position as I only have one testicle because um, soon after we were married, I was in a quite a serious car accident and I had mm. to have one removed. So um, as luck happened, has it, um, that made... Fits um, nicely. ...made room for um, my, uh, my penal implant. There you go. That's the silver lining on, on being one ball, I suppose. <laughs> and that, that's when I have my instruction of lifting nuts to guts. I've met a couple of guys over you that jokingly say that to me. I've only lifted one nut to gut, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, what my, my father-in-law used to call cars with one headlight one-eyed bob so the one ball bob <laughs> yeah. well i don't mind being called uh, 
one ball, David, but uh, <laughs> I, I object to odd ball, David. <laughs> now, David, I'd like to go back just a little bit. And we always talk about uh, guys after radical prostatectomies potentially improving their function naturally and that potentially one day they might not even need any of the interventions like the pumps and and maybe just the medication so I know your surgery was like 25 years ago now and we didn't have access to the robot but did you find that you had any function at all emerging in those initial couple of years as we often say it takes about two years to work out where you're at yes no well I I wasn't um fortunate like that um uh, but as um, as we've both said, um, that was um, 25 years ago now. But I, I can report from another Sando position, our youngest son at 42 uh, had um, prostate cancer diagnosis and has uh, subsequently undergone the radical prostatectomy. And he's got um, full um, erectile function and full incontinence. So just goes to show um, what improvements have been made. But back in, um, back in my day, it was, it was rare that um, any functionality came back. Functionality, um, feeling-wise, came back uh, somewhat, but there was, um, it, it wasn't rigid enough to, um, for penetration. Yeah, I think it's just in the, like, five years that I've been working in this space, I've seen a massive difference in the outcomes. And Joe, you've been doing this for a long time, so you must have seen it. Well, about 15, 16 years now, but absolutely. I remember um, my very first presentation urologist was all about, um, you know, how the sexual side of things was an un, undiscussed topic and that most men were really, really stressed about this if um, they weren't given any information. So, um, it was a gap that needed to be filled. I, I've actually in my time had three different urologists write to me and say, look, we'd prefer that you didn't discuss the sexual function, rehabilitation or, you know, dysfunction because men aren't interested in their sexual function. Um, I'm really pleased to see that that's, that's changed a lot. Uh, yeah, and yeah, that has changed a lot. So when you had the surgery, David, did you have much pain immediately after? And now you can even compare the, the first surgery to the second surgery. Yeah, true. That's a good point. Um, well, that's interesting because, you know, I've spoken to, I suppose I've spoken to thousands of people now on this subject and uh, everyone's different. But um, at first, I don't think the medical profession and the rest of us were being honest with people um, having this type of surgery because there are some people where it is quite difficult in the first um, two to three weeks, whereas others don't have don't have an issue. You mean by uh, pain post surgically? Yeah, we're talking about pain post surgically. Um, but um, the the good news is that. Um, whether you're one of the lucky ones, and I was relatively fortunate, I, I had discomfort, but I didn't have excruciating pain, but others do, uh, and then they're back on the phone to you asking for advice. Uh, the good news is that um, within, at the most, six weeks, uh, people are feeling um, back to normal, and within... I'm, I'm swatting a fly here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the bogan fly. <laughs> yeah, the bogan fly. Uh, within, within about um, 
six weeks or so, um, the um, you know the penis is is ready for for action. So whilst it can be um, a discomfort to some after surgery, it's not for all, and uh, it it sort of dissipates as quickly as it comes. So it's it's worth the effort. But it's such a like long wait, isn't it? You've got this shiny new toy and you can't use it for six weeks. It must be like torture. Well, it, it isn't really because uh, it build, builds up the expectation and when it does happen, <laughs> yeah. um, it works. Now, getting back to the, that other question about the, the second, the replacement, um, that was virtually a very similar process for me. I didn't feel any different um, the second time. I was eager to have it um, in. Um, rather than go go without because I was so used to it and the and the first one worked well and the second one works just as well. So in that in that first nine and a half years was um it working completely fine all the time or there was there an occasional hiccup and you had to go and get it turbo boosted or anything? <laughs> no, no. I, I like uh, turbo boosted my cars and um, <laughs> I, I've, I've got my own turbo boost now but um, the uh, no, I, I didn't have any issue at all. Just one night it uh, it failed and um, it had done its job and um, just that was it. So it didn't take me long to organise the second one, that's for sure. Well, it's great. It's got way more longevity than an iPhone. Every time I get a new phone, it carts it at three years. So nine and a half years is a good innings, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they say these days, depending on who you talk to, 15 years, I'm 76. So... Um, I'm not doing too bad, and um, if push comes to shove, I might even have another one. I bet there's a lot of men out there now that are really jealous about this. <laughs> well, we, as Joe knows um, in particular, we speak to plenty of men, and we still get involved in um, taking referrals from medical professionals and people like yourselves, and uh, there is a hell of a lot of people. I mean, when we speak at a function and... Uh, the, the function finishes and people listen to this subject being talked about, um, especially with our experience. Um, you know, the queue of couples to speak to us after a session um, is um, is very, very satisfying because uh, for the most part, we can certainly help them. Mm. Oh, such a so fantastic to hear people's real life experiences. It's so different to hearing it from you know health professionals. Yeah, and I mean that I, we've tried to get a couple of um, chaps on to talk about their penile implant, and they've actually been quite comfortable, but their wife haven't have haven't been so. So uh, I was trying to think of who I could ask, and I clearly remembered the first time I ever heard about someone having a penile implant was when we were discussing it in a room of about two hundred people. Um, and so you know, I've always been you know, really impressed by your openness to share. And not only that, um, Pam as well. And I'll, just in preparing for this um, podcast today, I, I was able to show that in 2011, you guys did a program on uh, Life Matters with the teen aunt and a urologist. And yeah. I just thought, wow, these guys were talking about things 10 years ago when wow. a lot of the topics are still actually there. When it comes to the cost, now that you've had two, this is something that's really important, I think, to acknowledge is, did your private health fund pay for any of your penile implant? Yes, they did. And this is a, a subject that um, 
is obviously very important, uh, but it, um, it it's got to be looked at that um, it's very difficult to give advice to people uh, not knowing the uh, idiosyncrasies of uh, their particular um, health cover, if they've got health cover, um, because, you know, some medical funds do and some medical funds don't. Um, but in my case, um, I was... Um, I was well looked after, and uh, the other thing is um, there, there were gaps, um, but we were happy to pay for them. I mean, when you look at um, the quality of life for the rest of your life as a couple, um, I mean, it's a hell of a good investment, and uh, I'd go without something if I had to, to make sure that I could cover the gap cost um, of a penile prosthesis. And do you feel like the sensation is the same for you? Uh, the, the sensation, um, the climax and everything is the same. Um, the only thing that's, um, that's different is that um, uh, I, I don't uh, ejaculate because of the prostate cancer aspect of it. So, um, you know, I, I would um, win any argument against anyone that I was in a much more fortunate position than uh, a regular male because I have a penile prosthesis that responds on my commands, stays up for as long as it's necessary, mm. and I don't cause a mess. Yeah, and, and, you know, at your age, at least one in three guys is going to have erection problems regardless if they've had prostate cancer or not. So Well, they are. Uh, they, they, they do. And uh, when they go for this operation, um, quite a lot of people are, already got erectile dysfunction anyway. Exactly. Um, and I think it's a good point here to say that anyone listening to this podcast that hasn't had um, prostate cancer, this is definitely an option for you. This is just an erectile dysfunction in general treatment, not just for people with prostate cancer. And also um, for patients with Peyronie's disease. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've, um, I must have hit the jackpot, really, because I had the car accident and had one testicle removed. Uh, I've... Um, had the benefit of being involved with um, many medical professionals and I also um, do have a slight touch of Peyronie's disease but none of that has hindered me and um, we enjoy the best possible um, sex life uh, that any couple could have. Oh, can I just ask you a little bit more about that? Is the Peyronie something that developed after the medical prostatectomy? No, I already had it. Okay. Right, you know, that's really quite fascinating. Well, well, I've got, I've got a, um, I mean, it, it's not, it wasn't debilitating, and, and it isn't severe. It's just, you know, I, I grew up with a, with a curve in my penis. Did, did it um, get um, assisted? Did it improve by having a penile implant? I don't think so, but um, it, it's, it's much the same. Uh, no, the, um, the penile implant. Uh, uh, begs a lot of questions from people that don't understand it. I mean, one of the, the the most asked questions of us, apart from what we've just discussed, is uh, can I extend the length of it? No, thank you. <laughs> and uh, we just say, no, sorry, mate. I always get asked that as well whenever I talk to couples about penile implants. And um, I, maybe it's a good opportunity to just brush on that now, is that if you put the cylinders in and they're too long, then you'll get pressure areas on the head of the penis and then you can end up with sores and breakdown. So 
it really isn't in anyone's best interest, the surgeon or the patient, to have it extended. But I do think one thing that's interesting about penile implants is that if you've got a penis that's buried, you know, is going back into your pelvis, then you can get back your initial length to the outside of your body. You just can't get a bigger penis. It's not like you can go in and say, hey, I want a, a nine inch and I only had a seven or whatever. Uh, that's right. Well, a lot of people don't understand that the penis, you know, goes inside your body um, as well as outside. Yeah, it's about 50-50 actually. Yeah, so they don't understand that. But that's what we're all about, trying to explain all these things simply. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, the, back to before when we were talking about the um, sensitivity and the hardness of the head, I've got a couple of younger guys that have got one who's a diabetic and another guy who had a spinal injury who have got implants and we've found with both of those if we just give them a really low dose of a pde5 medication like a quarter of a viagra they get extra blood flow into the head of the penis so yeah. that is just um if anyone has one and they just wanted to see whether or not they could get a little bit more blood flow into the head of the penis then that can help but you do need to only take a very small dose so yeah i've heard that that's the case Mm, yeah, it does work well. Now, I just wanted to um, glance over to Pam. So was Pam um, uh, always very supportive of the penile implant situation? Only because I've had one or two wives come to me and say that's the last thing they'd want their husbands to get because then they'd never be left alone. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, well, that, again, is a very good question. And, um, you know, I, I can answer it because I've heard Pam explain it many times. Now, this... The situation we found ourselves in with the, the erectile dysfunction is a couple's issue. And uh, we've been married for um, 54 years this coming November. Okay. So, um, you know, it's an important part of, um, of our life as it is with others. But um, some men uh, go and uh, get a penile prosthesis uh, with their wives or partners um, not being involved with the process, mm. not um, being explained to, um, not understanding the situation at all. And the guy comes home with the ability to have a really serious um, sexual encounter and uh, the woman has not had intercourse for some time mm. and trying to um, force the penis into a dry and uncooperative vagina, it, it, the formula doesn't work. Mm, no, and um, I think that's a really good point. I think it's really important that, um, you know, we treat people as a couple and that's something that I spend quite a lot of time with men and their partner dealing with the, you know, the, the ageing of the ageing vagina needs a bit of tender care as well. Yes, well, Pam um, makes the point when we talk about this together that... Um, the, the wife, the partner, needs proper lubrication. And since we've been um, at this um, situation, um, the those lubricants have improved out of sight. And uh, now they're less viscous and uh, much more um, in keeping with what, what you would want in that situation. I just had a thought. Is it possible... Just say someone, uh, the female partner was very uncomfortable. Is it possible to sort of inflate it two thirds? Um, it is, but um, why? 
I've never I've never <laughs> done it. I was just thinking from a female perspective, in case they complained that the firmness was too much, um, you know, particularly someone's had some radiation therapy or something. So um, I was just thinking about it from the receiver's point of view, if it was something that could be tweaked well, a little bit. Yeah, well, in all my discussions, that has never come up in all the years we've been talking okay. about this. So that's a good that's a good question. I'll have <laughs> to ask your medical colleagues, but I would say, why would anyone want to have anything that's not right? I'd rather go easier and slower sure. with the real thing rather than. I to answer that question, Joe, I haven't heard that with implants so much, but I have with my injectable patients. I've had them say when I've seen them as a couple, the wife say, oh, I actually prefer it if he uses a little bit Yeah, Yeah, I think that's where I'm coming from. Because yeah. it's not as hard. Um, but I think the difference with the implant is when you pump the implant up, it's much more internal and there's a bit of, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, but when I've felt them, there's like a bit of spongy tissue over the top of the implant, whereas when you use the injection, it's very hard all the way to the edge. Do, do you think? Yeah, well, don't notice it so much. I mean, with the injection, with the proper um, solution, uh, like the, the proper dosage solution mm. that suits you, um, it is it is very stiff, but then so is the implant. But um, there's enough penis flesh around that. And uh, it, I think it just all depends on the individuals. I mean, you, yeah. if, if you had a situation where you hadn't had intercourse for a long time, you'd have to both be very mindful and careful of the situation. Yeah, and I think it's important to prepare the, you know, the vagina with, you know, appropriate maybe hormonal yeah. cream or lubricant, as you said. And have you got a recommendation of a, of a lubricant you like? No, I, I don't get into that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to um, advertise. No, so I didn't mean, really mean brand. I meant more like are you happier? Does it work better for you with like water-based or silicon or a hybrid? Um, no, well, I'm not sure um, of the base that we use because we, what we did, and I'd re recommend it to everyone, is that um, we um, shopped around and um, and found the um, the solution that um, worked for us. So yeah. um, in the first place, we just um, tried, and I think that's the best way. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and, and, uh, and ask, um, we asked the chemist. Mm -hmm. and the, chem the chemist was very helpful. Now, I wanted to add a little bit of humour here. I, I've listened to your chat from many years ago on Life Matters, and um, Pam said something which made me kind of giggle, and it was just a, the fact that when the, um, either when the um, prosthesis was filling, there was some swishing like water noises. <laughs> and I'm just wondering between the first and the second model if that, <laughs> those noises changed at all. No, uh, I, I don't. I, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I, I I remember that. Funnily enough, <laughs> but um, no, um, it it hasn't changed. You, you can just you can hear you can hear what's going on, and yeah. uh, I, I I think that's all all part of it. I mean, part of the love making yeah. new sounds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I digress and go back to what I previously said that. When we were um, using the injection therapy, um, we we would um, go through that lovemaking process. Then I'd have to I'd have to get up and go into a separate room, um, 
before the ensuite with a mirror and inject myself and then get back into bed and, and think that, you know, we're just back where we started. Well, mm. you know, a whole different ball game. But with the penile prosthesis, I mean, I stay in bed and, and take instructions and it's fantastic. Oh, that's great. I like this take instructions business. This is good. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, Pam's got to give the go ahead. <laughs> now, speaking of instructions, I am really curious if we just um, change track a little bit about your son's experience. And I'm um, hope you won't mind us talking, but obviously he listened to you to get um, PSA testing. So he's only 42, which, you know, we... well, he's, he's, um, he's 43 going on 44 now. Uh, that was a, um, a couple of years ago, but he was 42 when he was diagnosed, yes. Um, well, I mean, you've heard me talking um, from a PCFA point of view um, in many forums, and mm. we were always um, suggesting that um, families with a family history of prostate cancer and also understanding the crossover between uh, breast cancer and, and prostate cancer um, those um, young um, sons uh, needed to um, start testing at least at the age of 40 because um, early in the piece with our work with support groups across Australia and New Zealand, they, there were um, quite a number of people, and there are these days, of people getting diagnosed um, with prostate cancer in their mid to late 30s. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, so we were adamant and uh, we brought our two sons up to understand that um, they needed to be tested as soon as they turned 40. And if they uh, didn't want to, um, I'd take them by the scruff of the neck and organise it myself. Mm. But uh, it happened because, you know, they were well versed in, in what I've been through and what I've um, advocated over the years. So um, that's, as both of you know, that's... The key to prostate cancer um, diagnosis and any other cancer for that matter, early diagnosis is key, absolutely paramount. And uh, fortunately, um, the, um, the GP in Mark's case picked up um, a high PSA reading, which doesn't necessarily mean you've got prostate cancer, as we all know, but uh, that led to a biopsy and... Uh, then the diagnosis was made and uh, he had a relatively aggressive form of prostate cancer which needed the radical prostatectomy um, uh, robotically um, in this instance um, staged and um, he, he is uh, recovered uh, in, um, in every respect. Um, a few years ago after it happened, um, there was an article in one of the PCFA journals about um, our experience and Mark's experience. I read that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what we're all about here in our podcast as well is just um, opening that conversation and, and having um, one generation talk to the next generation. And, and I, I really salute you for being ahead of the game for so many years. And um, no doubt your openness with your son son um, as well as the rest of the world um, has, has led them to much more favorable outcomes 
Yes, well, that's one of the reasons why uh, Pam says um, she, she's over it. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about our sex life for 25 years, openly. <laughs> and uh, and the children um, at uh, our home, when they were all home, um, used to, we, we used to read a lot of books. Obviously, we've got a, a real library on prostate cancer. And uh, we um, used to have books lying around, um, some by Bettina Art and, and other sexologists that we know. And uh, the children would come around and just turn the book over. Them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure my young adult children get pretty sick of hearing about penis problems. It's, yeah, yeah, it started off uh, well, entertaining. It's become a bit boring for them now, I think. Well, well, I can understand it. But getting back to Mark, uh, I was really um, chuffed and both Pam and I were very pleased that um, he got to that um, next generation. Um, a lot of his friends passed on that article. That article um, was very widely distributed and uh, a lot of his friends um, got um, tested after that article, which is what happened to me. I mean, I was at a, a conference down in Canberra, an insurance industry conference, and um, I, was, um, I was talking about this subject and people um, went from the industry and got tested. And uh, when I explained it to my staff and my colleagues at the time I was working for Zurich Financial Services, who were very supportive, as most employers are. Um, one fellow beat me to hospital because oh, wow. he, he went to get a check for, for prostate cancer and uh, he, um, he actually was diagnosed with a, with a heart issue. So he had open heart surgery before I had my radical prostatectomy, but it was prompted by my mm. um, situation. There you go. We hear that often, don't we? Like guys get diagnosed with prostate cancer and then they speak to their mates and really encourage them to get tested. And then quite often someone in their group, you know, has got a positive PSA and starts them off on a journey. And you think, you know, like just having an open conversation can actually save someone's life potentially. So it's, yeah, quite, it's very important. Yeah, very important. Well, well, as Joe knows, that whenever we're at a function, they've uh, dined out a bit now, but um, I was at a function every other night. Or... <laughs> you say where? <laughs> no doubt Pam got sick of the suitcases as well. <laughs> and, and, and every time um, the conversation would come up with strangers about um, prostate cancer and invariably it'd get to the erectile situation and we'd talk openly about and, uh, yeah, I think it has made a difference. One of the, the best stories we have, if we've got time, is uh, we were at a, a function supporting the Geelong support group, and we live in Sydney, and we flew down especially for the event. I did some business down there, and I had to go back early the next day. So we had to get to a hotel near the airport so I could get the 6 o'clock flight out of Melbourne. And... Uh, that uh, was all organised. We drove down to Geelong, freezing cold in the middle of winter, and the place was absolutely chock-a-block. Um, there were 150-plus people in that room, and um, when we were tr trying to get away after um, 
giving a presentation along with a urologist and a radiation oncologist. We, um, we couldn't get out of the place um, because there were all these couples lined up and one particular couple, cutting a long story short, um, said thank you and all the rest of it. And we're on a ramp trying to get out of the place. And uh, this woman came up and hugged me and the husband came up and hugged Pam. Mm -hmm. and they, all, they both put their arms around us and said, we're going home to have sex tonight. <laughs> after, after I explained to them how to get the, um, the rings to work properly on a vacuum device. Well done. That's great. And I think that's a perfect place to wind up the Penis Project podcast <laughs> with David Sando today. Thank you so much, Thank David, you. for being so honest and open today and for the last 20 years by the sounds of things. It's been fantastic. My pleasure. Thank you. And you go and enjoy the rest of Bogansville. <laughs> we will. Yeah, you have we to will. go to that pub with the bull on the roof. They had really good wings when I was there. Yeah, we'll have to go and find that. So Pam sends her love, uh, Joe. Oh, thank you, and and back back to her, and and thanks for letting, thank her for letting us share her story as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. I'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. This is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback. And Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love for you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days I learned to value each and every one Of those warm afternoons